You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Today on Research Saturday, our Threat Vector host, David Moulton, is bringing us an exclusive interview with Unit 42's Michael Sikorsky to discuss Russian APT Fighting Ursa, otherwise known as APT-28, a group linked to Russia's military intelligence, exploiting a previously unknown vulnerability in Microsoft Outlook. The conversation focuses on the intricacies of these campaigns, the nature of the targeted organizations, and the broader implications of such a pervasive cyber threat. I'm here with Mike Sikosikorsky, the CTO and VP of Engineering for Unit 42, to talk about new threat intelligence on Fighting Ursa, aka APT-28 a group associated with Russia's military intelligence on how they're exploiting a Microsoft Outlook vulnerability, CVE 2023-23397, to target organizations in NATO member countries like Ukraine, Jordan, and the UAE. These organizations are of strategic importance in defense, foreign affairs, economy, energy, transportation, and telecommunications. Sickle, thanks for joining me today. The Unit 42 team has been busy lately, publishing a lot on APTs. And today, I wanted to talk to you about the Russian APT fighting URSA and the covert campaign that our researchers uncovered. First, give our listeners a snapshot of fighting URSA. Yeah, so fighting URSA, they're also popular. That's what we call them. Uh, others also call them APT-28, uh, as well as Fancy Bear. Uh, and they are well known for their focus on targets of Russian interest. Uh, and they have been attributed specifically to Russians, uh, Russia's General Staff Main Intelligence Directorate, also known as the GRU. Uh, and that's a military intelligence unit within the government there. One of the things that the team published on was CVE 
2023-23397. And I want to know, why is that CVE, that vulnerability, so significant? Yeah, so this vulnerability was in Microsoft's Outlook product. Uh, and we actually observed this group using this vulnerability over a long period of time, the past 20 months, in fact, uh, to target several different entities and nations of strategic value to Russia. Uh, and the fact that it was so long, it was before it was actually patched by Microsoft. So they had this before, while it was a zero day, they were leveraging it. Then it was discovered and, and subsequently patched by Microsoft and then shipped out as a patch. And furthermore, they still continue to leverage this vulnerability long into the, into the future, which, which shows you that not everybody has made the patches that they need to in their software. Now, getting into the technical details on this vulnerability in Outlook, it is a privilege escalation vulnerability. And the really, I think the most concerning aspect of the vulnerability is that exploitation does not require any sort of user, user interaction at all. In fact, what it does is it sends you a, a meeting invite. And then when that meeting invite uh, eventually you know, comes to be and, and it actually you know, triggers an alert uh, to you know, you know, the normal ding you get when you have a, a calendar reminder, that's when the actual exploitation takes place. Uh, and uh, it ends up causing a leakage of, you know, hashes that uh, are called NTLM hashes that can be leveraged by an attacker uh, to get privileges that they don't actually have. Also, the scary part of this is it typically is happening uh, inside someone's network. So this is happening you know, either local on someone's computer or on the uh, place where they're doing email. And it's, it's hard to tell uh, if somebody is vulnerable this uh, from the outside. So it's more about, you know, are they are they patched or not on the inside? Uh, and clearly not enough people have have made the patches here. Can you talk about the types of organizations or countries that were targeted by Fighting Ursa and why? So they've been targeting organizations, NATO organizations, uh, and, and other nations as well. Obviously, Ukraine is one of them, uh, but then they actually are also targeting members of NATO. Uh, and the attackers targeted at least one NATO country. Uh, and also outside of the government organizations, they focused very much on targeting critical infrastructure-related organizations with ties to energy, transportation, telecommunications, and anything in the military-industrial base. You know, targeted organizations with, within those countries, we're talking ministries of defense, ministries of foreign affairs, ministries of the economy, and then even pipeline operations and energy production as well. Given the targets, how dangerous is a no-touch exploit like this? It's pretty scary, right? Uh, the ability to compromise somebody with a simple calendar invite is why this is such a critical vulnerability. I mentioned that this vulnerability can be leveraged to get somebody's credentials, right? And you get their access. But what that also enables you to do means that you then have access to somebody's inbox. What can you do from there? Well, then you could further spread this same vulnerability to others within the organization. And right now, most of the attacks are going to be coming from a, an email address outside your organization in order to trigger that calendar invite inside your organization. 
However, if somebody gets access inside and onto your, you know, somebody's email account, they could then send invites all over the company from that person, which give it a lot more likelihood that, you know, it gets undetected. And then they could use that to leverage and compromise people throughout the entire organization. In other words, all they need to do is be successful with one of these uh, exploits uh, in your network. And then they could leverage that to cause a much more massive compromise and get more higher value uh, targets across your, your company. How can organizations protect themselves against something that sounds so sophisticated? Well, number one, there's a patch out. <laughs> so the first thing you need to do is up upgrade your, your devices, uh, upgrade your Outlook, patch your everything that you have that's, that's uh, Microsoft uh, for mail here, and, and you'll be good, good to go. That's first step. The other thing you could do is make sure that you have things in place. Uh, for example, you know, when are you accepting meeting invites from outside the network? Um, and, you know, can you detect this otherwise, right? And there are detections uh, that, that we have put in place in our security products that will realize that, that this is coming in and, and looking in the way it do does, where, you know, there is an actual signature to be able to detect this type of attack as well. So a combination of, of patching and a combination of looking for evidence that this was in your network, I think is another good thing. For example, can you historically go through uh, the inboxes on, on your network to see if maybe somebody was infected with this uh, earlier in time and then make sure that, you know, if it did, you actually open up an investigation and, and see if anything else has happened on your network. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. SixSense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com. Stick around. We'll be right back. What about limiting the lateral movement if the attack is successful? Yeah, it's all about de defense in depth, right? So, you know, I always like to reference uh, another Russian attack, which was SolarWinds. Uh, in that case, it was APT-29, uh, a slightly different group within the Russian uh, government. However, they they did when they did SolarWinds, you know, it was catchable by everybody, even though it was a great backdoor into networks. The, the pivot from that fancy supply chain backdoor to start moving laterally across the network was something everybody could have detected. It resulted in malware dropped on the system uh, and, and even, even activity on the network that could have been detected. So there was a lot of misses when it comes to these things that aren't just the initial you know, scary attack, in this case, a zero-day vulnerability in Outlook, in SolarWinds case, a supply chain attack. 
those things are hard to protect against, you know, protect against. Like, you know, having zero day protection at all times, having supply chain protection at all times is not necessarily realistic, right? And people also have priorities on how fast they can patch these things, even when there is a patch released. And that's why defensive depth is really important because you want to catch the lateral movement, the other activity they're doing on the network, uh, and and really figure that out as quick as possible because it's almost uh, it's really difficult to protect against all these all these different types of attacks, especially zero days in supply chain. What lessons can be learned by the handling of this vulnerability by the various stakeholders? I think the big thing is is that it's still being leveraged by fighting IRSA to have success at compromising organizations, which means that we're still behind the curve when it comes to, you know, this isn't a zero day anymore, and yet they're still using it, which means they're still having success with it because they would have pivoted to something else, right? If you have a zero day, that's that's amazing for them, right? As an attacker, you can leverage that. It's not patched. Everybody's sitting ducks. But even after a patch has gone out, They've spent a lot of time still using it, which means that it's still successful and who knows how much longer it will be. Uh, and therefore it's, you know, it's a lesson in we're not still not well prioritizing the rapid speed at which we're patching things. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, that's the lesson here. Sicko, what are the implications of these cyber attacks for NATO member countries? I think all the NATO countries you know, there, there. It's we've actually discovered research uh, earlier in the year from Russia where they were targeting the embassies and missions within Ukraine. This is a very s- similar scenario here, where they're taking a look at the NATO countries who might be interacting in the region, who might be participating or aiding Ukraine, and making sure they get their hooks in as many different places as they can so they can have the best outcome possible for themselves in that war. Uh, so, you know, therefore, as a NATO member country, you got to assume that groups like Fighting Ursa are coming after you and already have come after you. And therefore, it's really important to kind of not just patch, but to actually go back and hunt and look through and make sure that they're not currently in your network. What future trends might we expect in state-sponsored cyber warfare and intelligence gathering? Yeah, I think the two biggest areas that I would focus on in in that regard is insider threat, uh, something that we're seeing, you know, other nation states leverage or have leveraged for quite some time uh, is is the insider threat uh, capability, right, where they embed somebody in an organization and leverage that uh, to be able to conduct espionage or otherwise. Uh, and then the other is the supply chain. I think we've already seen Russia uh, have success uh, with SolarWinds, right? So unfortunately for them, they lost that capability going into the, the war in Ukraine. But it's not far-fetched that other nation states are trying their best to mount or build up uh, another supply chain attack of similar scale. So those are two of the areas that uh, I would I would really see as as being growing concern and therefore, you know, focusing on, uh, you can't really monitor those things at, at the perfect level, right? You can't see every single thing your employees are doing. You can't look at every single line of code of the supply chain coming into your, into your network, all that software that you're installing. It's unrealistic to kind of go through it all to find the few lines of code that are actually the backdoor for a nation state threat. And instead you really have to focus on 
what are the things you can do? Well, you could monitor, you could do defensive depth, you could apply zero trust, you could sift through alerts better with using artificial intelligence. And so those are the types of areas that, that I see that it going. Mike, last question before I let you go. Given the targeting of industrial systems, what is the likelihood of real-world damage or disruption? I think it's possible. I mean, I think that Russia was turning the lights off in Ukraine well before this war happened. In fact, they used it as sort of a, a playground to do things like that. And I think there's still some surprise in, in the world that, hey, the lights haven't gone off there or worldwide to an extent that we really thought would happen if they unleash the full capability they have, especially seeing seeing the capability they had uh, firsthand uh, going into into Ukraine, right? With with SolarWinds, if they had a capability like that, what is, what is the full full magnitude that they could? So, you know, the fact that they are targeting industrial control systems, energy plants, you name it, uh, to be able to with this attack with this vulnerability. I think it's possible, um, and I know that there's a lot of growing concern for that, um, but the fact that we haven't seen it yet is, is somewhat a surprise relative to how much we've seen targeted. Sicko, thanks for going deeper on the Threat Intel Unit 42 published on Fighting Ursa with the Research Saturday audience. And we'll be following up on this research and quite a bit of other research that your team has published out on the Unit 42 Threat Research Center on Threat Vector. If you're interested in reading the full brief Sickle discussed today, go to uni42.palo Alto Networks and look for Fighting Ursa, aka APT28, illuminating a covert campaign. That's Mike Sicko Sikorsky. He was interviewed by David Moulton, host of the Threat Vector segment, which you can hear every other Thursday on the CyberWire Daily Podcast. We hope you will check that out. And now, a message from CyberBit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice... Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin with mixing by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.